Good morning. My name is Amelie Schmid. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of 2 Timothy. Please follow along in your Bibles or use the screens. I'll be reading verses 14 through 17 from chapter 3 in the New International Version. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why would we say something like that? Not all traditions do that in the Christian church, but I appreciate the fact that that is a part of many of our covenant churches. And what we are saying is exactly what I'm speaking about this morning. We are continuing a series that we launched in the new year. The broad sweep of it is called Deeper in Christ and further in mission, this very concise mission statement that describes, I would say, the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and not only how to do that individually, but how to do that together. And so we're introducing underneath that subset, uh, covenant affirmations. And in your uh, worship folder or your bulletin, if you would look inside there, if you haven't already seen it, there is a blue trifold. If you'd pull that out, just to make sure everybody's got that in their hands. I've been mentioning to you that this entire series that we're doing up until Lent is based <clears throat> on the desire to look at what are the fundamentals, what are the core things that Christians hold on to. When we get off center, when we get off track, which happens to all of us, how do we find those things that bring us back to the place of core belief and core behavior? The affirmations, there's six of them as you can see, we'll be taking those week by week, one each week, over the next six Sundays. And these become the center for all covenant pastors and all covenant churches. This is really the core of what binds us together. One of the natural questions of new people to the covenant churches that I've served is, well, where do I find your doctrinal statement? And it's interesting that when I transferred my ordination into the covenant 20 years ago, I learned that we say the Apostles' Creed is our doctrinal statement. The oldest creed, Christian theologians and historians believe, is really the core of what covenant churches gather around in terms of our doctrine. We're content with those core fundamental truths of the Christian church. But the six affirmations really become a framework for us. And that is what I would say might be distinctive for us in the covenant, both as leaders and as churches. So today, we're looking at the centrality of God's word. If you'd put the next graphic up, this is the first affirmation. And these are obviously broad topics. 
to try and put together a message this morning under this umbrella, uh, I had to do a lot of cutting and pasting, uh, editing, because there's so much that could be said. But really what I'm trying to do is take a 20,000-foot level view today. Because already some of you have looked at that and you've said, well, I already believe that. Next topic, please. Because certainly if you've been in the Christian church and followed Jesus, you know that this is core to our faith. But there are some of you here today that know very little of the Bible, and your response to this might be, I'm just inquisitive. Some of you might believe that the Bible is central to your life, but you're at a place right now where you're not currently engaged with it. And so you believe this, but for a variety of reasons, you may be disengaged from Scripture at the present. And there may be some of you this morning that wonder why in the world would anyone base their life on an ancient text from a backwoods group of people called the Jews. This ancient book, because where else in society would a group say, we believe our, our whole life is shaped around an old book? That is fairly unique to Christians as we look at the Bible. So wherever you are in your relationship with the Bible this morning, your place is welcomed. We don't make judgments on where you are at. In fact, I would rather have the openness to dialogue with you about where you're at as we move forward. But I will invite you to examine what is your relationship with Scripture this morning. Because in the covenant, we believe that the Bible is not only instructional, but it is also formational. It is a living text, not just an educational one. And so it reveals the triune God as demonstrated in the very life of Jesus. Here's a core definition right out of your pamphlet there. We believe the Bible is the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. That's very consistent across denominational bounds. The dynamic transforming power of the Word of God directs the church and the life of each Christian. Note that it says it directs the church and the life of each Christian. Again, this idea that those of us who follow Jesus are basing our entire lives on this ancient text. The Swedes who immigrated to America in the mid-1800s and founded our movement had two questions that they would ask each other. The first one, and this was in a small group context, the first one was, where is it written? And that question comes directly out of this first affirmation. Because the idea is, when we gather together, we are taking a look at how the Bible shapes us. Not what Oprah said last week, not what our favorite podcast said, not what good people are saying about how to live a healthy life, but we are distinctive in that we say, well, where is that written? Our opinions are valuable, 
But if they're not based on the scripture, that's not within the bounds of what we're saying about the centrality of God's word. So with that as an introduction, let me open in prayer. Lord Jesus, the scriptures say that your word is living, it's alive, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a scalpel that does surgery on our hearts and on our minds. And so we pray, regardless of where we're at this morning in our understanding of your word, that you would do good surgery on us today. Work in the areas that we need. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Put up the next graphic if you would. I want to, again, at the 20,000 foot level, give us a paradigm for, my, for, for what I'm laying out today. I believe that the most helpful overarching paradigm in looking at the scripture is this. It begins in the center with God's story. Pure and simple, the Bible is the story of God's interactions with humanity on this planet. Then, after we fully understand God's story, I shouldn't say fully understand, as we barely understand it, and we begin to respond to it, then our story is written because we've moved into God's history of salvation. But it doesn't end there. It finds its full culmination as we live out our salvation story with countless millions of people who have made the same move towards Jesus Christ. And so that's through the Christian church. And so this is the paradigm. This is the meta-narrative is a word that's used today. What it means, meta-narrative, is taking a historical event and finding the meaning in it. And so when we say God's story, this is not Star Wars in a galaxy far, far away. We're not talking about some fanciful idea. We're talking about something that is rooted in the history of this planet. And so the meta-narrative gives us a definition to what God is up to. Specifically, it records his various covenants that he began with his people, the Jews, and that carried forward into Jesus Christ in the new covenant. When I was a freshman at the University of Washington, uh, like many freshmen, I took economics. And there's, I learned that there's two kinds. Who knew? There's the macro and the micro. And that is what we're talking about in terms of the scripture. The macro is the big picture. The micro is getting down into the details. And many of us in the Christian church have been trained in the micro. We go to a Bible study, and we really look at the variety of parts. And in fact, we've taken this ancient text and we've put chapters on it and we put verses on it. What other book does that? None that I'm aware of. Because that's the micro. We want to get down, where is it written? We want to discuss the, the minutia. And what I'm, what I'm asking you to consider today is we are looking at the macro. We're standing at the 20,000 foot level again. We want to see how the major themes of scripture actually do fit together. God's story 
is a story of God pursuing us. We would not know this story apart from this sacred text. Theologians talk about general revelation that all people can see, especially through nature, and see through the basic common sense ways that we were wired to live. But general revelation only takes us so far. And so the specific revelation of God's word is his initiative. And I've always appreciated this definition because I love history. And one of my professors said, history is really his, meaning God's, story. History is God's story in the world as we read in the scriptures. And so our text this morning from 2 Timothy is one of the places that is a seminal text as Paul is writing to one of his young pastoral protégés, Timothy, in Ephesus. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. Timothy had the advantage, like many of our kids in this church, to have the Scriptures presented to them at a young age. And I can't overemphasize the power of that because I was benefited by that in my own family where my mom and dad introduced me as a child and I began to understand the principles of God. Those are not beyond the understanding of children. And in fact, in many, time, many ways, children have an ability to receive things that we as adults put up filters to. But nonetheless, Timothy had that benefit and so Paul says, these are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is reiterating to Timothy, this is God's story. You're a part of it already. Continue in it. He's affirming the Jesus thread through all of God's story. And in the last 20 years especially, we are blessed to have all kinds of books and seminars and podcasts that help follow this thread throughout the entirety of Scripture. And again, I commend it to you as a very helpful way of seeing the big picture of the Bible. I mentioned it to you last week when Jesus, after his resurrection, is walking with the two men on the road to Emmaus. It says that he opened up the, the Scriptures. Well, he was opening up to them the Jewish Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, my thread is throughout the entirety of what you have been raised as a Jew to know about God. That is a great text for setting us into this quest of looking for the Jesus thread. Paul continues in talking to Timothy and gives this concise statement about the fundamental nature of the Bible. All of Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is one of those areas where I just had to really cut some things. What does it mean to be God-breathed? This again is a strange concept to any other written work 
in this world other than the Bible. The Bible makes this claim that these are God's ideas. They're not human ideas. This was not some mechanical God says sit down at the typewriter and begin to type. Sorry for the old reference to some of you I just lost. <laughs> That's not a mechanical inspiration or God breathing. God had human writers through their own experience write down what they knew they were being inspired to write. I believe the writers did understand that there was something more than just them sitting down with pen and paper. And so Paul is affirming this story that is again, it's alive to teach, to rebuke, to correct, to train in righteousness. This is crazy, right? What other book claims that that's its purpose? And furthermore, it is for the building up, to be equipped, the servant of God, to be equipped for every good work in building up the body of Christ. The Bible isn't just an educational experience. We're intended to do something with it. And so God's story, this meta-narrative approach, I think spares me, because this is where this all came from, from the micro view that I had of the Bible. I think there are a number of lenses that we could talk about in terms of how people view the Bible, and I just want to highlight five that have impacted me over the years, and I've approached the Scripture in these ways, and so maybe you'll resonate with some of them. Uh, the first one is the Bible as an educational text. I think this is the dominant Protestant view, and it really comes out of post-Reformation. So go back to the Reformation times, and people like John Calvin and others, Martin Luther, just were academically brilliant, and they began to, do, uh, to have writings and responses to the Scriptures that really put us on this educational path. And I believe that, especially since the Enlightenment in the 1800s, this has been the dominant view in most Christian churches. We want to know the truth. We want good theology. We want to know more and more about the text. And so we jump in because we know how to do the educational approach. If you're a skeptic, you've taken this in the opposite wave. And you've said one of the terms for it is higher criticism. Let's undermine the Bible because it isn't historical, it is mythological, and these were just misguided people that wrote it. And so you have these two educational approaches through history. I told you that I'm a, a proud graduate of Bellevue High School, 1972. Uh, my senior year at Bellevue, uh, they offered a class called the Bible as Literature. I don't know if there's any high school that does that anymore in the Northwest. But back then, you could get away with it. There wasn't no protests, and I signed up for it. I thought, this will be interesting. But I was, while I was glad that that class was being taught in my high school, at the same time, the approach was, it's an educational deal. Let's look at the variety of literature types. And that was all well and good, but there was no mention, obviously, in a public school about formation, that this sacred text is something that we should interact with and let it shape our lives. Uh, put up the photo there. There we go. One of my favorite spots at the University of Washington. 
this is the dominant view, as I said, where people look at the Bible and they say, I want to roll up my sleeves. We're going to dig in. I'm going to do outlines and charts and get the highlighters and all good things, right? I love all the things that help us on the educational side, but it's one lens. A second lens that I've dealt with in my experience is what I call the feel-good emotional therapy lens. And that's okay. I'm not mocking this. I'm saying the feel-good emotional therapy is coming to the Bible and saying, my life is out of control. I need help today, Lord. Open up the Bible, close your eyes, pick a verse, give me something that'll relate to where I am at emotionally and what I need today. Here's a slide that further describes that. We've all seen this. I saw it when I was a kid in, in Bibles. In the back, it would say, if you're feeling depressed, dot, 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 look at this scripture. If you're sad, dot, 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 look at that scripture. If you're anxious, and so forth. Each of the emotional things that we could bring to the Bible, and once in a while, I'd have that emotion, and I'd look up the verse, and I'd go, that didn't really help me at all. I don't know what that person was thinking. But again, there's a place for the feel-good emotional therapy. It's like chicken soup for the soul. That's why we read guideposts and Reader's Digest. We love inspirational stories, and the Bible can certainly give us that devotional shot in the arm each day. Here's a third lens that I've dealt with, the Bible as a legal, moral authority. This is another one that I think is a dominant lens in some streams of the Christian church. We are always looking for a moral application when we read the Bible. Now hear me, God has set moral principles for how humans can live in a healthy manner. And to me, the legal or lawful aspects of the Bible aren't a negative, they're proactive. They're trying to help keep me from going down paths that actually would be destructive to myself. And in this case, put up the next, there it is, the Supreme Court. Is this partly your view of the scriptures that we need to go to the justices and find out what is the final answer? Jesus' Sermon on the Mount actually fits into this because he's giving principles for how to live in a healthy manner. And the thing about the epistles to me as the apostles move out into the culture, even beyond the Jewish context, they're trying to apply this to the cultural realities of where they find themselves. Just as an aside, that's one of the reasons why I'm not discouraged in the cultural slide that we've seen in our own country in my lifetime. The context of the Greek and Roman world was way down the pike in terms of what the early apostles had to face and try and apply in a constructive way that would lead people to following Jesus. And they didn't shy away from it. They didn't sit around and bemoan, oh, look at the culture, it's just continuing to go down. They said, we have a risen Christ who dwells in us, and we're going to take that to a desperate world that needs it. The fourth lens that I've dealt with in my life is the Bible as an owner's manual. Uh, this is one that I used a lot when I was in youth ministry in the 70s because that made sense to me. It's like young people, they could relate to that. Uh, who doesn't need an owner's manual in their car? Now, this is back in the days when we actually read those things. And so put, put the picture up there. 
Um, I picked one from 1962. Anybody have a beautiful Thunderbird? Uh, there it is, and very contextual to the snow of last week. I hope you saw it. Oh, there's, there they are, Th Thunderbird right there. Um, we would actually read these things because we could open up the hood of the car and we could make sense of what we saw. Now we just go on YouTube or we just say, heck with it, go to your favorite repair guy and give it to him to make it work. But the basic idea behind the owner's manual is God knows us, he knows how we best live, and so check the owner's manual as you go through your life and you're going to live a fruitful life, hopefully, as you try to follow that. This includes how we are to relate to one another as human beings. It isn't just personal, it's how do we get along with each other? How do we maintain spiritual health? What does it mean to have moderation in all things? What does it mean for us to have a just view of the world? And I'm not talking about, just, I'll just play my card here. I don't use the term social justice, even though that's a, a, a term that is understood in the world. I use biblical justice. Some things in the Bible measure up with what people would call social justice, but others do not. And so when we look at the owner's manual, we're believing that there's a God who is just and knows a lot better how to bring justice to this world than I do or any organization. And so again, the idea of the Bible as an owner's manual. Well, the final one is the Bible as a love letter. And some traditions really emphasize this, that God says, I love you to every person on earth through the scriptures. This is the message of some of the great evangelists of our era. Billy Graham would play that out. John 3.16, God loved the world and he loves you. It's a wonderful and truthful idea. Show the graphic there, here it is. Again, back when we used to actually write letters as opposed to texting somebody that they love them. God says, I made you in my own image. You have dignity and worth because of the Imago Dei. Not because of anything else in this world, but because I have created you, you have infinite value and dignity. The psalmist says, I formed you in your mother's womb in Psalm 139. I alluded to John 3.16, I love the entirety of the planet and all I've created on it. And then this very intimate picture that the Apostle John gives us in Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. This very intimate invitation that God is giving in his love letter to us. So there's five lenses. Do you resonate with any of those? Do any of those, have they become the dominant view for you as you think about the scriptures? And again, hear me, there's element of truth in each of those perspectives. I believe that's one of the reasons why the Bible is so unique. What other book can you approach with so many different ways and have it speak to you? The problem is, is if we only take the one lens and we try and force everything into it, we can get off track. For example, 
my wife would love to, she, she taught uh, Sunday school in all the churches I've served, and she would come home to me. She was not raised in a Christian home, and so the idea of teaching children was a new concept to her in terms of how do you take a Bible story and make it relevant to a child? And she would come home sometimes like, you're not going to believe what I had to do today with the children. And she would often pull out an Old Testament story and say, how in the world do you get a moral teaching out of that story? Right? It's like, my goodness, this is not PG rated. We got to throw out two thirds of the Old Testament to even try and teach a moral application to children. So we stick with the nice ones, you know? That's just one illustration of how one lens will sometimes not get us where we want to be. And so again, this is why, if you could put up the initial uh, graphic again of God's story and my story and our story, that's why I'm proposing this, this morning, as a way of understanding the centrality of the word as good covenant people. Last Sunday, I said that the normal Christian life is consistently putting Christ back in the center. Because all of us, the normal part of Christian faith is sometimes things in life supersede Christ. And we just need to recalibrate and bring him back to his rightful place. And I want to submit to you that that's how I treat the first affirmation. Because I get off track. And I have to be honest and say, God, I'm not really relying on your scripture today. I'm relying on my own thoughts or what I just heard on the news and on and on we go. So when we look for ourselves in this salvation story of God, we have to begin by bringing God's story of salvation back to its rightful place. Next week, we're going to be talking about the necessity of new birth, and that really is the my story component. It's taking the salvation broad sweep story of God in the world and saying, where do I fit in that? And it isn't just a point in time decision when we so-called get saved or are born again. It is an ongoing process of salvation that continues until we see Jesus face to face and the Bible says we'll be glorified in his presence. So my final question this morning is, what is your relationship with the centrality of God's word today? Again, as always, I am open, Pastor Julie, any of us to interacting with you wherever you're at on a spectrum of belief or understanding about the scriptures. Uh, we put our email addresses on the worship folder there, the bulletin, so you can send us a text and get together and talk over where it is applying to your life. But I leave that with you this morning and would like to pray for all of us as a congregation today. Jesus, these things are beyond our comprehension. How in the world do you speak with what looks like type and words on a page? And yet many of us have found your word to be alive and active. So thank you for heightening our own awareness this morning. Guide us as we go forward from this place in how you want to move in and through us and form us into the image of Jesus through your holy word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.